Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's day one of 2024. What does this year hold? In this ep, we'll ask a futurist. We can see the use of these technologies and we expect to live longer, healthier. And that's a reasonable expectation. We have those capabilities now to really give ourselves a far healthier lives than ever before. Will crystal ball the year ahead and a trigger warning, Trump and AI will be part of the conversation. First, here are the important news stories of today from the Listener Newsroom. G'day, I'm Dan McRae with the latest news. We'll get the whiteout ready for the next time you write the date because it's officially 2024. Large crowds gathered across the country last night. Some in Sydney queued for three days to secure the best possible vantage point as a million people lined the foreshore there with another 400 million watching worldwide. Around the country, revellers also gathered in large numbers in Melbourne, Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth and Darwin. And it was a low-key one in Canberra with the early crowd for the 9pm fireworks after the ACT government decided to axe the traditional midnight show. To other news now, and in Perth, celebrations turn to tragedy. Two children under the age of 10 have died after they were found floating in the Swan River at Burswood late yesterday afternoon. The boy and the girl were both rushed to the Perth Children's Hospital in a critical condition where they later died. Meanwhile, police have ruled the death of a two-year-old girl in central Queensland as non-suspicious. She was found unresponsive in a car at a property near Mackay yesterday. Finally, it's time to start making good on our New Year resolutions. And it looks like saving money is at the top of the list for most Aussies in 2024. Finding ways to save money is the most popular 2024 resolution, with more than half of Aussies, 63%, who are making commitments for the New Year, agreeing it's on their list. Even on top of those typical resolutions, such as eating healthier or becoming more fit. That's Sophie Ryan from iSelect, who says 80% of us are worried about our energy bills this summer. In the NBL, the Cairns Taipans are celebrating into the new year after taking down Melbourne United 95-78. Patrick Miller leading the way with 31 points, while the Illawarra Hawks were seven-point winners over Adelaide. Today, the Jack Jumpers play New Zealand. And in the tennis, and the Brisbane River wasn't the only thing snaking its way through the city yesterday. A Brisbane international match between Dominic TM and Aussie James McCabe was put on hold after a serpent took to the court. TM slivered into the qualifying final after a strong finish once the snake had been removed. A big thanks to the listener newsroom for that. Up next, Tom Tilley's chat on what we can look forward to this year. All right, well, let's get a sense of the year ahead with Ross Dawson. He's a futurist, which is one of the best job titles ever. I mean, really, his job is to analyze the big trends, put them into historical context so we can get a sense of where they'll go in the future. And for this conversation, the future means now, this year. Ross, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. So I'm not sure if you're here to give good news or bad news, but you're a futurist. So what does this year look like? Exciting. <laughs> this, uh, I'll bet this is going to be the most exciting year ever. <laughs> the tone in your voice, you went straight to that upper register, which made me doubt your whether your enthusiasm was genuine right off the bat. Well, I like exciting times and we've had plenty of them lately and we've got mm. plenty more to come. So <laughs> no, this is definitely uh, genuine. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, we got a little bit of a break from US politics, I'd say, the last year. There was a bit 
going on, but nothing compared to, say, Trump's rise in 2016 or any any day during his presidency or the immediate aftermath with the stolen election narrative. But I'm guessing our attention span will narrow back in on US politics this year, given there's an election and Trump is likely to become the president. Uh, well, part of the context is that it's actually not just the US. So half of the world's population is going to the polls this year. So mm. that includes the US, certainly. Also India, the EU, United Kingdom, Indonesia, Mexico, some pretty big nations. And one of the things which is happening across all of these is that we're in a world of what I describe as post-post-truth. Mm. So back in 2016, uh, we went into post-truth, as in we didn't even know what was uh, true anymore. Now, with the rise of AI and deep fakes, we simply cannot know when things are reported, when we see videos, when we see people talking, whether it is true or not. Mm. And this certainly plays out into uh, the US world where there's plenty of people who want to believe whatever they want to believe. And mm. so if they see something which supports their beliefs, they'll be outraged or whatever, whatever they feel is appropriate. So the divides are going to be more and more intense and they've already been extremely intense. Yeah, well, democracy's messy and that, that can be a really good thing and a bad thing. Um, certainly creates a lot of uncertainty and, and noise and sometimes conflict. And um, yeah, interesting to hear your thoughts on where that will go because I think a lot of people hope that there was a real period of polarization that may have just been a moment in time rather than a, a deep increasing trend. So that's an interesting one. You, you talked about the technological changes and the way that influences disinformation. Leads me on to the next subject, uh, AI. 2023 was a big year for the public's awareness of AI and chat GPT was something that really accelerated that. And then at the end of the year, of course, we had all that fantastic drama around OpenAI who created chat GPT. So what are going to be the most interesting trends in AI you think going forward this year? So one of, one of the things, it wasn't just public awareness of AI. It was, in fact, a leap in capability. So uh, Mustafa Suleiman, who was the founder of Google DeepMind at the time, described it as a surreal leap in capabilities. And every AI researcher was, was really quite astounded by what had happened when we put sufficient data into these new algorithms. So... It was transformative in terms of what's happening. So this will impact every domain. So one of them uh, is in work. We will see that the whole nature of work will be transformed. Whether or not we start to see the AI continue to advance at a pretty decent pace in its capabilities, which looks very likely, but even if it doesn't, applying this in organizations will change the nature of work. And in the past, most of our technological advances have impacted blue-collar workers, the manufacturing lines, and so on. Mm. This impacts white-collar workers, so lawyers, professionals, you know, people who are working with uh, knowledge. And so the way in which organizations respond is going to be transformative. Another aspect is going to be health. I'll just stop you on the work because that's just something that affects all of us. So they're, they're coming for the knowledge workers now. I guess how will this shape what we see as the human specialty, given what 
AI will be able to do and the parts of our work that it will be able to um, relieve us of or steal from us, which, whichever way you, you look at it, where will we end up specialising most as human beings in these knowledge-based jobs? So I point, you know, a lot of my work is focused around this theme of humans plus AI, where humans and AI together are combined and where we point to our uh, whatever is best done by humans does best done by people and whatever is best done by AI. And we actually start to change the nature of organizations so that we allocate the work to those. So at a high level, the uh, capabilities of humans are creativity, relationships, and expertise. And these are things we need to nurture in our education. These are things we need to design our work around. But more specifically, a lot of that actually is in the framing and the intent. So what humans know is why we are doing something. You know, what is the context for this? You know, what are the ethics around this? You know, why does this matter? What is the... And so we can guide the machines. And that's something where AI doesn't have, and I I don't believe in some sense we'll ever have. It will not know what it's like to be a human. Hmm. The other big impact of the sort of march of AI will be in the health domain, which you started talking about before. So this year, what do you think will be the big advances in that space? More broadly across healthcare, the big shift has been data. So it used to be you go to a doctor and then write some things on a piece of paper and that would be the amount of information they had on you as a patient. So today, many people have smartphones, uh, which are able to not just say how many steps you take and what your heart rate is, but also your heart rate variability, which is in fact a, a very strong predictor. The latest devices are able to measure blood glucose levels, Uh, and a whole array of other things. And this creates an extraordinary array of data. Now, this impacts everybody. So certainly those with chronic illnesses or where they can be able to support, uh, be able to provide far more precise ways of interventions for anybody, including those who who are well or not well. It can shift us from reactive medicine, which is where, oh, I'm sick, I need to go to the doctor, to where... The data and the with you know which feeds the AI can say you should go to a doctor because you're not going to feel well tomorrow, <laughs> and or you know you you may have a heart attack or whatever it may be, and one of the critical shifts is also for aged care where this amount of data in the home can support people in living in their own homes longer and longer, and they don't need to go to a aged care facility if they don't want to where they're able to, amongst other things, have their health monitored at all times, be able to have people to be able to support them whenever they want, and also the assistance in the home to be able to do that. So this extraordinary explosion of data, and so we'll start to have these embedded in our clothes, which our clothes, not just our smartphones, will measure our uh, vital symptoms, and this will be fed in machines, and more and more being able to provide a help us be healthier, Yeah. I mean, I was briefly touching on it before without um, referencing him, but the Yuval Harari Sapiens Homo Deus um, work, he talked a lot about how how much will increase our data collection on our health. And I think there will be a time, maybe very soon, where we will think, I can't believe we weren't collecting that already. You know, it's just relatively easy now to monitor your sleep patterns, your heart rate, 
potentially even sort of more complex things like microbiome, infections, um, a whole range of things where you'll go into the doctor and not have just this vague conversation based on your perception of your symptoms, but actually that they've already probably downloaded the data, they can see it, analyze it, and then talk to you about the, the treatment of it. Because the conversations we have at the moment are not based in data at all. They're relatively hopeless. So that sounds like something that could happen very quickly, but it, it sort of relies on us embracing the gadgets. Two parts to that. One is obviously we need to gather the data. The other is, of course, shifts in the uh, medical system. <laughs> and so for a long, long, long time, I've looked at uh, the potential shifts in medical, healthcare and medicine. And essentially it is a uh, overall a system which is resistant to change, one could uh, safely say. Hmm. Uh, so there we need changes from the doctors, how the, you know, the whole structure of reward systems, uh, insurance structures, a whole array of different things need to change. But the opportunity is that absolutely we can live far healthier lives and be supported in ways uh, as never before. Mm. And I think that we have that expectation. That is now one of the big shifts. We expect more, we are more affluent, we have. We can see the use of these technologies and we expect to live longer, healthier. And that's a reasonable expectation. We have those capabilities now to really give ourselves a far healthier lives than ever before. I like the tone of that. It's, good. it's a good optimistic tone, which I think as a futurist, you need to be, otherwise you sort of become something else, some sort of doomsday preacher, perhaps. Ross, great to speak to you. Thanks for joining us. Real pleasure. That was Ross Dawson. Um, Love his sense of optimism around all of that. Challenging to know that US politics will really consume a lot of news this year and misinformation will only increase as will polarisation. So put your seatbelts on for that. But really interesting as well to see where AI will go and how it will change the workplace in particular. I'm sure that won't be the last time we'll talk about that on The Briefing this year. There's another prediction for you. Listener.